Hello, my name's Don Love. I'm on the teaching team here, teaching elder, and then also on the prayer team as well. And you'll see those things coming up as we go through this lesson today. Next week, if you haven't put it on your calendar, it's Mother's Day. You might want to plan ahead for those kind of things in advance. But we also want to prepare our hearts a bit for that, whether we be a mother or not, preparing ourselves for Mother's Day as it comes. And it might be helpful for us to look at one of the most famous mothers of all time, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and look at some of the interactions between Mary and Jesus throughout Scripture. It's interesting when we bring them together, we have about four times where Jesus and his mother interact, and they're both, or all four of them are pretty short interactions, but it was interesting when you compile them together, the picture we get of what it was like to be Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, I'm hoping that as we look through what it was like to raise Jesus, that it will refocus a bit the way we think about the sacrifice of mothers and then also the way that we celebrate Mother's Day just next week. So let's begin and let's pray. Lord, we ask, would you guide us today as we consider what it was like to be the mother of Jesus? And we ask, would you have mercy on mothers and aspiring mothers as we face the joys and strugglehood struggles of motherhood today. Amen. The first passage that I want to bring to mind is Luke 2.35. If you guys have your Bibles, you might want to pop up these passages to look at the greater context. We're going to have about five passages that we look at today. The first one is Luke 2.35. And the quote here is your soul will be pierced with a sword also. So this is from Jesus' baby dedication, essentially. Simeon is going to take Jesus in his arms, and he's going to praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people Israel. This is a pretty amazing baby dedication. There's prophets and prophetesses coming up, prophesying over this little baby. Mary's already had an angel come to her and explain a little bit about who Jesus was going to be. And she said, do it unto me, O Lord. And she accepted this, even though there were some confusing things from the very beginning. How is this going to be? Even though I'm a virgin, how is this going to happen? And now here we are, the baby's been born. He's being dedicated. I think this is you know, normally eight days after birth. And so at this point, there's being dedicated. This would be pretty encouraging. Like, this is a confirmation of what the Lord has said. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said of him. So they, they're, they're marveling at this. I think this is a, this is a great and amazing thing. What, a, what an amazing day. This is, they're just soaking it all in. And then Simeon continues, and he doesn't say to both parents, he turns to Mary. For some reason, not Mary and Joseph, but he turns to Mary and he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. And so there's a, a shift here. Again, this is amazing stuff. And then like, but why do you got to add that on? Why do you got to go there? I mean, we're, we're trying to dedicate our baby. It's a, it's a great day. We appreciate everything you're saying so far. But then you add that little thing. That's, that's kind of a piercing of the heart right there. Like, oh, what is this? And so at this point then, this sets us up for this Mary and Jesus relationship throughout the rest of Scripture. So this is one that you're familiar with. 
you know the story. Jesus gets lost, or so his parents think. They, the caravan has moved on. In some ways, this isn't the best parenting. Anytime you move on and you didn't know your kids were with you, it's kind of the parents' fault at this point, right? Um, I got left behind one time. My parents did that, and I kind of thought the same thing. They thought I was in one car, and I wasn't in the other car. And, um, but anyways, so this, they find him, and this is the conversation. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So Joseph's still here. We're, why were you searching for me, asked. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. And he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all of these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. So there's this, this thing that's going on. So Jesus is sort of in trouble here. But, you know, Scripture tells us that he was sinless. So this must not have been sin for him to do as a kid even here. And there's, a, there's something about it. And we have times like this where we rebuke our kids and then we kind of realize, like, oh, they're actually kind of right here. Um, and part of this is Mary beginning to understand a little bit about what Jesus' is calling is. And at age 12 already, I understand that they say in Jewish culture, 13, you become a man. But, you know, in one sense, yes, in another sense, no. But there's kind of a pushback here. Sort of like, if I'm going to choose between following my mom and dad or following my heavenly father, I'm going to follow my heavenly father. And so Mary, again, there's this, what's neat about Scripture here is it gives us a lot of Mary's thoughts, just small snippets. We don't get hardly any of Joseph's thoughts. We just get that dream, really. But here with Mary, we start to see her treasuring these things in her heart. And so there is this processing of this conversation with her child back and forth. The next one. Oh, I think we skipped one here. Where is it? I missed the slide. Okay, I'm going to go to the next one here. Um, the next one here is, who are my mother and my brothers? So this story, you'll remember um, Jesus' teaching. They just accuse him of casting out demons uh, because he's a, a son of Satan, is what they're saying. And so he's in the midst of this big debate here. And this, is a, this is a pretty big deal. If you get accused of being the son of Satan um, by the highest religious authorities of your nation, you're probably in some serious trouble here. And so Jesus, his brothers, and his mother show up, and as they show up, they're going to say, you know, like the, the implication seems to be in the Greek, I'm told, that they're kind of thinking Jesus is crazy. You know, sort of like, Jesus, you have gone too far here. I understand there's this, this Messiah stuff that you're supposed to be doing here, but you've gotten yourself in some serious trouble. And so what he's going to do is actually renounce his family here at this point. Um, the, other, the other one, John 2, 4, there's one more time here where Jesus is at the wedding feast and he's going to, um, his mother comes up to him and she says something to the effect of, um, they're out of wine. And the mother seems like she's really, for some reason, really invested in this situation as though she knows the people who are involved here and she's trying to save them in some way. And so I don't know if this is a close friend or a relative to some degree. Um, as controversial as this sound, I sometimes picture, like, what if this was like Jesus' sister? Scripture doesn't say he had sisters, but it said he had brothers. What if he had sisters here as well? But whoever it is, it's something where Mary is a bit out of sorts at this point. And I've heard people try to interpret this 
woman as being a, a, a term of the time. It's not disrespectful. It's not pushing back in any way. And the conversation in the back and forth seems to be that Jesus is kind of pushing back. Like, woman, my time has not yet come. And some will say, well, this is the first miracle Jesus performed, so he must not have done a miracle before this. Well, keep in mind in the Gospel of John, John is not necessarily claiming that this is the first miracle he ever did. This is the first sign that he did. The signs are a bit different than miracles because signs are pointing towards something else in John's economy. So Jesus might have done something miraculous before or not. We don't know. But the point here today is the conversation between the mother and the son. The mother is asking him to do something, and Jesus at first is essentially saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And no matter how, I, like I try over and over to try to read different tones into this. So maybe Jesus is being playful. You know, woman, what, is, what does that have to do with me? You know, being kind of coy, and maybe she's kind of coy back, like, ah, just do what he says. I know he'll do it. And we can read it different ways. But I've seen stressed out people at weddings. Being coy and playful when someone else is stressed out normally doesn't play well. And so whatever it is, I'm assuming this would be exasperating. Unless they had some sort of wink-wink kind of relationship here, this would be exasperating to Mary. It's like, come on, don't, don't mess around right now. All right? You brought these burly guys up. They drank all the wine. Now, it says they were invited, so it's not their fault because they were invited them. So whoever invited them, it's their fault. But still... You know, Jesus brings all of these guys within seemingly like a week's notice of them getting there, maybe. And so when we catalog all these things together, uh, when we catalog all these things together, we start to see a little bit of an interplay back and forth. And I, I picture Mary here a little bit at a time, her having to give up a little bit when it comes to her son. Because um, you know, from the very, very early stages, you have this child that you feel like if you just drop them just once, it probably would be really bad, right, from the very beginning. And from the very beginning here, she's getting these warnings that bad things are going to happen to her, at least painful things are going to happen to her. And what we see from this is essentially that it's really hard to be a mother. And essentially, if we think about the challenge that it was for Mary, raising the sinless Son of God, and having him just be let go a little bit at a time, you better believe that if you're a mother, you're going to experience some sort of soul piercing if you're raising someone who's not the sinless son of God. You're going to hit these things as well. But mothers tend to cover these things pretty well. You know, they can put on their, their nice Sunday dress, bring their family to church on Mother's Day, and you don't necessarily know the burdens that the mothers are carrying. You don't know the reason why they're so overprotective or overbearing or easily frustrated because of the things that they're trying to protect you from that they went through in their own childhood, and they just quite haven't processed it yet, how they protect you whenever they feel like no one else sees danger. No one else will stand up or believe that this person who seems to be so nice would actually be the abuser in the situation, or they, they see other death and other circumstances, and and others don't necessarily know why they're doing what they're doing, and it seems sometimes smothering. And, and, but Mary's learning here, a little bit at a time, having to let Jesus go. A little bit at a time, having to let him walk out these things. And in, in her mind, maybe make some mistakes. I'm sure Jesus made mistakes when he learned to walk, made mistakes all throughout his ministry. Maybe, maybe he did. Um, but at the same time, it was never sin. And I don't want you to get caught up in that theological point, but it talks about how he grew in stature. He, he grew in knowledge, in favor with God, in favor with man. There's a growth process with Jesus here as well. And Mary and Joseph were a part of that growth process. But especially when our children come to those 
stages where they're making these big life choices and that they're theirs to make. We really are at that point in our relationship with them that it's their decision to make and we've done what we can do. And, and Jesus is now in his 30s and he's still having this interplay back and forth with his mother. And the mother is still trying to figure out how do I process what's happening here with my son? So first, let me talk briefly to those mothers who have children who are of age that are pushing back. I want you to take a little bit of comfort. Jesus did this too, right? So if Jesus did this and your children are doing this now, maybe this is okay. Maybe this is a natural part of this. Now, I understand Scripture talks about rebellion being like the sin of witchcraft. I don't think Jesus was rebelling here because he wasn't sinful, so he couldn't be rebelling. So sometimes there needs to be a pushback from the standpoint of stepping away from your family. Jesus talks about despising your father and mother. If you do not hate your father and mother, the idea that you're supposed to leave the father and mother now and follow him, you're not worthy to be my disciple. I don't think he's talking about hate because he obviously talks about loving everybody and loving your father and mother. But the idea is this turning away from one to follow another. And hopefully if you're a parent that's following Jesus too, it's like the Exodus where you're just still following this great Moses through the Exodus and you're all still there together, just the eyes have shifted from you to Jesus and hopefully it's not that big of a shift if you've been leading well up to this point. So I want you to imagine what it would be like if you had a son or daughter and they chose a homeless life. They have a place at home, but they go around telling everybody, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And you're at home thinking, just come back to Nazareth. Come back and live with us. You can live here. You have a place. You're up around Galilee and Jerusalem. You Come with us. Imagine if he's putting himself in dangerous situations and you don't understand it. Why does this have to happen this way? Imagine your child not responding as you ask for help in the way that you would like them to ask for help. Jesus did all of these things without sin. But remember, even from age 12 forward, she's treasuring these things in her heart. She's processing this, and she's letting go little bit by little bit. And some of you have been doing that. And so they leave, they leave home. They go to the next stage. You've been processing this. You've been helping them step out. Others of you haven't. And so when that time comes, when they're leaving home, and maybe that, especially that last child leaves home, and you're in that empty nest almost stage, then people start grasping, and it becomes really hard. You start trying to make jobs for them. You start buying land so they can build a house on the land that you bought for them, and you start trying to do these other things. And if you're not careful, they'll start thinking that you're manipulating them. They might start thinking, they're still trying to have control over my life, and they push back. So I believe that Mary started to understand a little bit about what the Lord's calling was for Jesus. Little bit by little bit. It was a mystery, but little bit by little bit, she understood this is the hand of the Lord. I have to let go in this way. And it's really amazing if you can have your children have those real conversations just to say, look, I I don't get this, but I need you to tell me why you think the Lord is leading you in this way. And it's far different when they explain it in that way. When they will say, well, this happened, this happened, I interpret this in this way, this is what's leading me. And they might not even know. And you might need to say, well, just could you pray about it? And just say, Lord, would you show me? Why is it that I sense that I'm supposed to do this? Would you give me that sense? And it's amazing how you can then, if you understand, okay, this is where the Lord's calling them. I don't want to get in the way of the Lord, that you can actually let go and let them follow the Lord at that point. So don't hold on too tightly. Don't get in the way of the Lord's calling for them, for your family, it will not work out well for anybody 
if you're the one trying to stand in that gap. So I want to just take a moment and pray for those in our body that are in this situation. I know some of you, you're struggling with this early. Your kid's pushing back. Terrible twos, I've heard of that. I haven't experienced it, but three was bad for both of my kids. It's sort of like they have their third birthday. I'm like, oh my goodness, what just happened? We need some new rules. We need something here. Um, And I'm not talking completely about that stage, but still, there's still that progressive letting go and giving them freedom, trying to say yes as much as you possibly can rather than saying no and having them live in a world of no. Let's pray for those that are in this situation now. Lord God, we pray for those who are struggling to hold on to their children. Would you give them clarity now on how to be the parent you're calling them to be? Would you search through them? Would you show them, is there any area that they need to give their child more freedom to make their own choices? So just let your heart come to rest, your mind to peace. Lord, would you show them Is there any place they need to give their child more freedom to make their own choices, whether they be young or old? Would you bring that area to their minds? And would you show them, Lord, are there any areas they need to set up boundaries or explain to their children why they're parenting the way they are? Would you bring these children, these situations to their mind now? Would you give them a sense of that? Lord, we pray over each parent and we ask, would you help them to surrender their struggles with their children to you that they might enjoy parenting like never before? Would you guide the hearts of the children to the parents and the parents' hearts to their children? Amen. And that prayer will continue to ripple out if you let the Lord bring that to your heart. Surely not enough time to process what you need to process on that, but it's a start. So to the children, young and old, say, learn to follow the Holy Spirit like Jesus did. And at the same time, realize that both the Old and the New Testament talk about how we're supposed to, as children, obey our parents, but everyone, as offspring, we're supposed to honor our father and mother. There's no expiration on date on that one. The obedience one, children, but the honor your father and mother, that's still something that goes the whole way to the end. And you remember the final one, I didn't talk about too long, but the final one was the aspect of woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. We'll go back a slide here. I got it, I got it. I almost got it. Here we go. At this point, I think woman could be a nice term here at this point. Woman, behold your son. And at first, if it was said in that order, her, her uh, perspective would have been looking up to Jesus. Behold your son. He can't gesture. I mean, he can, he can move his, his head. He can't point. I mean, so you wonder with Mary, did she understand what, she, what he's saying? Behold your son's suffering at this point. He made her look up to him on the cross in the midst of his suffering. But when he said, John, behold thy mother, I think it became clear at that point that there was a handoff. And it's interesting that he picked the only disciple that was going to die a natural death. All the others died martyrdom. John's the only one that lived a long life. I don't know if he had that insight at that point. If, you know, we, it's a confusing thing talking about what he knew and didn't know. We can talk about that later. But at this point, he looked down, took care of his mother, even when he was at the point of death. 
But even then, Mary's suffering all throughout. Now, I'm, I'm sure there were lots of joys in the midst of raising Jesus, um, but there's still an interplay between Jesus and his brothers. I imagine there was a rivalry there. You know, can you tell the other brothers, I wish you were more like Jesus? No, you can't say that, you know. But at the same time, oh, it's like, oh, he can do nothing wrong, right? And you're going to be frustrated with him no matter what if you're the brothers. And maybe he was so shepherding and mate was so amazing. Um, but jealousy is a hard thing. And it looks like when, that, when Mary and the brothers came, like I said, folks have said in the Greek, it seems like they're coming to pick Jesus up as though he's maybe in the wrong, like he's overstepped a line. And it doesn't seem like any of his brothers believed in him until after the resurrection. So, honor your father and mother. And that also means even taking care of them, maybe even after your own death, making sure that they are taken care of. And some of you are now at that point where your parents are getting old enough, they're getting harder to manage. And it's one of those things where you're trying to figure out, what do I do here in order to do this? Um, I understand Jesus shifted the care to someone else. He wasn't going to be there, but he did make sure they were taken care of. And if we, if we read through in Timothy and Titus, it does talk about that. I don't want to say responsibility because that sounds overbearing, but that, that there is something that we as Christians should naturally do in order to take care of our own family. It shouldn't become the burden of the church or someone else to take care of them. It talks about widows that now are wanting to be on the widows list of the church and say, no, as a believer, the families should be taking care of that. So that's something that you'll need to pray through, um, especially if you have those issues with your own parents at this point here as well. And while we're on the topic here of addressing mothers, um, let, let's address mothers a little bit more widely here. First, I want to thank you for the suffering that you've endured. Those hidden stabs to the soul, those piercings of the soul that maybe you can't even express, they, they kind of cumulatively gather over time if they're not dealt with. And we know that motherhood wasn't exactly the way that you thought it was going to be. You may not have been called to watch your child push away, to live a homeless life, to be martyred for the sake of the gospel, but you've suffered in other ways. So when we think a little bit about this, I want to think, how has your heart been pierced? It's going to be different. And sometimes it's so specific, it's never going to come up in a sermon because it's such a small little niche um, or something that's taboo to talk about, it's not going to come up. But today, I just want to list a few. Infertility, miscarriage, adoption, whether that be the parent who gave away a child or received it and had to learn what it's like to have a blended family and all the new challenges that come with that. Maybe you suffer from your children's choices, whether that be them making a decision toward the Lord or against Him unanticipated physical or developmental delays or special needs, untimely death, not having the number of children or the gender of children you desire. As small as that seems, there, some of these things that are on the list are very hard to grieve publicly because you think, I have it so good. How can I grieve that something didn't happen the way that I wanted it to, but yet there feels like something's wrong, like the Lord didn't do something right. Changes in your bodies that come with pregnancy and motherhood, broken relationships, and so many other things. So for all of this, 
we say thank you and we acknowledge the suffering that you have endured in order to be the mother that God has called you to be. So this Mother's Day, let's prayerfully take a posture of rejoicing for those who rejoice, but also mourning those who mourn. For some people, Mother's Day is one of the worst days of the year. They will skip church on Mother's Day because they don't want to see other people celebrating. And even if they are celebrating because their children have wanted to celebrate them, often there's that memory of that lost child, that memory of that decision or the blame that they have for themselves. If I just would have done something different, well, then maybe other things would be different in my life. Maybe I'm to blame for what did or didn't happen. So I want us to make space and partner with you to receive peace, forgiveness, and move forward in joy for your pure soul. So beginning today, let's commit to pray for and with mothers and aspiring mothers with pure souls. And let's pray now. Lord God, I know that there are those among us whose souls have been pierced for one reason or another and have felt the pain that comes to all whose family circumstances do not turn out the way that they dreamed they would. Or even worse, they turned out exactly like they feared they would. So as Mother's Day come upon us, we acknowledge it is a time when pierced hearts ache for what was, what is, and what never will be. So Lord, we dedicate this space to you for your purposes. And he asks, would you heal these mothers' hearts today? Would you bring their minds to rest and their hearts to peace? Would you give them a sense? Is there anything that has pierced their heart? Anything that's still tender? Would you give them a sense of that but protect them from it? Would you show them? Are there any lies they're believing? That's keeping this heart wound, this soul wound from healing? If so, Lord, what are the biggest lies they're believing concerning motherhood, children? Would you bring that to their heart and mind? And would you show them the truth? This is where the enemy gets a foothold. This is where the enemy is able to use something to mar your motherhood. This is the place where their children are able to not see what you want them to see in your heart, but to see some of the hurt. If you're ministering as a mother out of your hurt, your children are going to sense it. So Lord, we ask, would you help them to receive the truth and let go of this lie? Just picture handing it over to the Lord. And Lord, I ask, would you help them to see if they're holding on to this lie? Would you help them to see why do they hold on to this? How is this lie serving them? Would you show them, is there anything else that they need to hand over that they might have this healed heart so they can love their family in the way that they can only through you? Just take some time to do your interchange between the Lord. Take some time to talk to him about this.
And the rest of you can pray for those who are working through things. And Lord, we pray now for those who long to be mothers, but have not yet become mothers in the way they had planned. And for those who believe that they will never be mothers. Would you speak to them now? Would you let them know? What do you want them to know about their desire for motherhood? Would you show them how do you see them and how do you feel about their situation? And again, the posture is just one of mind at rest, heart in peace, listening. It's not searching. It's not your analytical mind. It's one of listening with your heart and with your mind. Not disregarding anything that comes. But if something comes and you're like, that doesn't make sense, just lift it up to the Lord and say, Lord, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what that means. What does this have to do with what we're asking? We would like to pray for you. So if you're among those who are struggling with motherhood in this way, would you let us pray for you? You just raise your hand if you're among those who like prayer. Okay, if you just want to put your hand up and keep it up, we'll gather around you and we'll pray for you. Can you raise your hand and keep it up? Just look around. There's a few that have hands up if you see someone around you. Either gather around them or pray toward them. Can you see these hands? Feel free to get up out of your seat, even if it's across the room. And pray for these mothers. We're not going to make you talk to anybody. We're not going to make you share anything with anybody. You know, there's probably a couple more that need to raise their hand. You want to raise your hand? We'll gather around you and we'll pray. I'm going to take two minutes and pray for these mothers. You can pray quietly or out loud. Lord God, some of these women are mothers and don't know it. Would you give them a sense of that? Lord, 
Lord, we pray today, would you begin the reparative work in their hearts, minds, and bodies? In both the men and the women, Lord, that they would conceive and raise children in healthy, godly homes. Lord, it's been said that you open the womb and close the womb throughout the whole Old Testament. And so, Lord, I ask, would you give them a sense? Lord, is there anything that is closing the womb in their relationship? Lord, we ask for intimacy between husbands and wives. We pray against any guilt and shame coming to the marriage outside of the marriage bed. We ask, Lord, would you wipe away anything that's getting in the way of these couples conceiving? Lord, would you give them a sense if there's anything in their body image, anything in their diet, anything in their environment, any choices, any anxieties that's causing things not to work properly? We come against bitterness, jealousy. And we ask, would you restore these couples in their right relationship with each other and with you? Not looking around, not out of jealousy, not out of anything else, but Lord, obedience walking to you and basking in your glory and your goodness. So Lord, we ask you to bring healing to each of these people. We ask that you would bring reconnections with the family, discernment, and tough situations. And finally, Lord, we pray for the children. Would you show us, is there anything that we are believing about our mothers that's not true? Lord, any lies that are dividing? Lord, what's the truth? Are there any hurts from mothers that we are carrying with us that they have passed on to us that's getting in the way of us loving them this Mother's Day, wanting to be around them, wanting to do honor them in any way? Would you give us a sense, Lord, of anything that needs to be said or done? Would protect us from it, Lord? Anything we need to renounce? Anything we need to seek forgiveness for concerning our mothers? Lord, we thank you for what you're doing here today. And we ask throughout this week that you prepare us for Mother's Day so that we would bring, as we come together, we would bring to completion many of these good works that you have begun here today, healing the souls of mothers and their children on earth as is in heaven. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. The final thing, as Brian's coming up here, the final thing, this week... When you think about Mother's Day, don't just think about what am I going to get my mom? Or how am I going to do this next thing? Be thinking about those people who are not going to be able to celebrate or those people who are having that mixed celebration here. I don't want to be a downer on Mother's Day, but at the same time, some of you are going to be struggling with these things. Maybe it would be good for you to find someone else who's struggling on that day. Maybe on that day, rather than coming to Grace, you go out to lunch with them. You take them someplace else someplace far away from the flowery dresses and the bouquets of flowers that the mothers carry. Take them somewhere where you guys can pray, talk, support through things. Or maybe you come together to church and you sit beside each other and that's, and that's the support that you need and you grieve together in the midst of rejoicing. Uh, maybe 
you understand those mothers who are both grieving and rejoicing, and maybe you love your mother in a little bit of a different way. Um, not just rejoicing because they're a mother, but also understanding that pierced heart along the way. So as Mother's Day comes to your mind, remember what we said today. Say, say a short prayer. Ask the Lord to guide you in this. So you might understand both the suffering and the rejoicing of Mother's Day. Thank you.